Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and welcome to Master Leadership, where we connect with leaders worldwide to gain insights on important topics to help us on our journey towards greater significance. If you would like to participate as a guest, or if you have a question that you would like to ask a guest, go to masterleadership.org for more information. Watching Yanu is the founder and CEO of I Choose the Ladder an employee development and retention agency that helps Fortune 500 executives develop and retain their high-performing black women talent. She and her team have worked with top companies like Nike, McDonald's, Best Buy, and Walgreens, empowering countless women to counter imposter syndrome, master work-life balance, and unlock their career potential. As a result, the companies have created positive, high-performing work cultures, achieved reduced employee turnover, lower executive recruitment costs, and benefited from happy and motivated staff. Watson was born in Liberia and immigrated to the U.S. in 1991 to escape the war in her country. She has spent over 15 years overcoming everyday workplace biases against black women and immigrants to reach the pinnacle of corporate America. Before founding I Choose the Ladder, Watson was a senior marketing and business development executive at companies like Comedy Central, Hearst Digital, Yahoo!, Johnson Publishing Company, and the 2021 WNBA champions, Chicago Sky. Welcome, watching Yanu. How are you? I am great. It's snowing, right? But outside of that, work is great. Life is great. I have no complaints. <laughs> Snow can be good. Depends if we're ready or not. And I'm definitely not ready. <laughs> well, you're smiling. So that's really a good sign that you're ready to rock and roll. So we're so excited to have you here. Are you ready to pour into our listeners? I am. I, you know, I love, I can talk about leadership and culture all day long. So if I get going, reel me back in. <laughs> here we go. Well, we're excited because that's our space. We love leadership and the stories that you bring. So tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now. Okay. So I always say that my life is um, kind of split up into three chapters. So I was originally born in Liberia. I'm an immigrant. Um, so there's a time in Liberia between birth and when I was six years old, which was, you know, typical middle-class family, all of those things. When I was six years old, the civil war in Liberia broke out and my father thought that um, it would just blow over. And he was in the U.S. at the time and he came back to Liberia because he's like, oh, it won't last long. Well, then we ended up living through the Civil War for two years. And so there's that brief period of, you know, seeing war, seeing the worst of what humanity has to offer, um, but then also seeing leadership even in that time. Right. So my dad had to figure out how to keep a family of six alive and healthy and not panicking during, you know, some pretty traumatic times. And then that life, the third chapter is life in America. So we immigrated to the United States when I was um, in 1991. 
Mm -hmm. And we really thought we would be in the States for 18 months. Um, it is now 2023 and we are all still here. The la the war lasted a lot longer um, than anybody had anticipated. I think we lost something like 300,000 lives in that war. And then by the time it was over, we'd already settled into the country. We were in school and all those things. And so we've just been here since. My dad has always been a leader and my mom has always been a leader, but in very different ways. My dad is more of the out front, in front of the podium, you know, the face that everyone sees. And I think that when people think about leadership, they think about my dad, but the actual leader, I love you, dad, in our house is my mom, right? So she's a little bit more quiet. She's a little bit more behind the scenes, but she's extremely strategic. She's a person who's telling you what to do without you knowing that she's telling you what to do. And so you think it's your idea. So my dad always thinks it's an idea, but nine times out of 10, it's probably a seed that my mom planted that he then watered and allowed to grow. <laughs> I absolutely love that. And that's my philosophy. I think women are amazing leaders. They can be, right? All right. Uh, so, 100%. so when you think of your parents, right, who are you more like? I would like to believe I got the best of both worlds. And so I am very comfortable leading. I am a decisive person. And I think that is a direct result of growing up in a war where every decision was life or death. And so you had to make them quickly. Um, you had to just trust that your instincts were leading you to the right one. And if it was not the right decision, you would have time to pivot, but you didn't really have time to sit and think, oh, should I do this? Or it's like everything was life or death. And so I think having that happen in my formative years has made me a very decisive leader. I'm not someone who spends, you know, 10 years on a decision, right? Like if I think about something, I can very quickly run a strategy in my mind and make a decision. And I'm not afraid of if it fails, what happens? If it fails, I pivot and I do something else. But for my mom, I think I'm very strategic. And so my mind works very fast. And that was one of the critiques I got when I first started business school. Um, we were doing some like team building um, activities and the professor said, one of your things that you should be aware of is that you come to decisions a lot faster than other people and more times than not, your decision is the right one, but you don't want people to feel like you're bullying them or steamrolling them to get to where you are faster. You need to allow people to have their own process to get there. And so like my mom, my mind works very fast. I'm extremely strategic. I can see a plan really quickly. Um, I can spot a problem and come up with solutions pretty quickly, but I think I've had to hone that in so that it doesn't come across as oppressive to other people who I'm working with. You know, as you're talking, I wrote down some things that kind of bubble up. I'm just meeting you. You're so damn impressive. So a couple of things that came out as you were talking, things about leadership. So trust is important. And that's something that you value, a decisiveness, of course. Um, but I also see you as someone who's courageous, strategic, and you value others. Did I get that? You got that absolutely right. And because there's nothing that you can do as a leader without a team. In order to be a leader, people have to want to follow you. Because if that's not the case, you're not a leader, you're a dictator, right? If people are following you out of fear or other things, leaders have the ability to get people to buy in, in a way that makes them feel like it is a choice that they're making, or it's something that they want to do. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have the title of a leader. There are tons of people in workspaces, in our life spaces who don't have the leader title. They may not be the VP who's, you know, at the all hands meeting, or they may not be the head of the organization, but if they have an idea, they're able to get consensus and people to agree to see them through with their project or any of those things. I also consider those people leaders. Um, and I think that's equally as important as the person who's at the podium. And it seems like you're a deep listener too. How important is that for leadership? 
I think you should spend more time listening than talking. I remember when I was more junior, there were decisions that were made about the junior staff at an organization that I was working for, um, and they had not consulted anyone who was junior. They made those decisions in a vacuum, and they took away things that were extremely critical to people's jobs because it was such a gap between when they sat in those seats and the seats from which they were making decisions, it was a disaster. They spent a lot of money. They wasted a lot of time. Um, they caused a lot of unnecessary chaos. And then we eventually reverted back to the original system. But it's because I think the missed opportunity was to have buy-in from people and having this feel like it was a collaborative effort, as opposed to we know best because we have X, Y, and Z experience, which is I, I don't think is, is how you lead people. I'm trying to find this quote for you. The first one is, People want to be heard more than they want a decision changed. So you talk about listening. A lot of times, I think as leaders, we're afraid to listen because we think that people are going to expect us to change something that we've been working on for years, or they just don't know any better. But a lot of times people don't necessarily want you to change anything. They just want to feel like their voice matters in whatever consideration set that you are using to make the decision. And then an HBR article that I was reading talked about the importance of trust as it pertains to leading retention and like employee engagement and the three questions that people typically ask before they leave an organization. One, do you trust your coworkers? Two, do you trust your team leader? And three, do you trust your senior leaders? If any of those are no, there's a higher likelihood that that person is going to be looking for employment other places. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be perfect as a leader or as an organization, but you do need to understand how important trust is when it comes to leading and retaining high quality employees. I am so with you. It's so funny as you were talking, I got goosebumps because we're on the same beam. And I did a podcast called My Trust Manifesto because it's so deeply rooted in my belief that trust matters most in leadership. And as a matter of fact, it's interesting because John Maxwell talks about three questions that you're asking of the person who leads you and the people you lead are asking of you. They're not asking verbally, but they want to know, can I trust you? Do you care for me? And can you help me? Mm. So those three questions are really important. And so listening to people that's valuable when we do all these things people feel valued i know i do so one of the questions that you asked me ahead of time is like what concerns me and i think it's number two because most people don't feel like the people who lead them care for them they feel like the people who lead them look at them as a means to an end not necessarily as humans who bring their whole selves and their whole experience to help you reach an outcome, but that is not the sole reason that they exist. One of the things that I say is like, my goal is to humanize the corporate experience, right? There are people who sit in those seats who are, you know, have hopes, have dreams, have whatever things that they bring to the table. And so if you can say, yes, I feel like my leader cares for me, you're more loyal, you work harder, the quality of your work product is a lot better because you're not in your head all of the time, right? You actually have the mental space to be innovative, to think and to work. And so I do think leaders who are listening to this, you don't necessarily have to answer this out loud, but you should ask yourselves, does my staff know that I care about them? If so, how, right? Because if you're a parent and I ask you, how does your kids know you care about them? You could list off those things because I go to soccer practice because I have dinner with them. So if I asked you the same question about the people that you are leading, how would they answer that question? And if you don't know, that's maybe a spot or an area where you might want to start working and, and building within your organization. 
I love that. So, you know, you spoke about your goals. Tell me what you're doing now. So we run an agency that focuses on employee engagement, development, and retention. And we work primarily with Fortune 500 companies to do this work inside of their organization. So a market leader, someone who is in charge of a PL or someone whose job security is tied to um, attrition and turnover within organization, they typically come to us and say, hey, we have this employee survey, for example, and we're seeing that we're dropping the ball here. Can you curate something custom for us um, that allows us to address this issue, whether it's you know an event that we curate or workshops uh, that we facilitate for them over a period of time? Um, and then more recently, in addition to that work, we've been hearing from our corporate clients that they feel like some of the young people right. have the technical skills to do the jobs, but it's all of the other things that kind of chip them up a little bit. And so we've developed a digital product specifically for colleges and universities to help their juniors and seniors transition from being in a college environment to now being in a career environment. Super valuable. Where can I get more information? Tell us about your organization. I, um, so uh, the organization is called I Choose the Ladder and the name is very intentional. So um, we talk about the corporate ladder and I want people to feel empowered, to feel like you do have a choice on if you work in a corporate space or if you don't, you don't have to be in a large corporation to have a phenomenal career, right? But if you do choose to be in corporate spaces, you have to acknowledge that you are choosing to be there and then decide what part of this ladder you want to climb to and what that means and being very strategic about what that means for you for your personal life, but also for your professional life um, as you start to climb that ladder. You know, um, climbing the ladder, I mean, and I'm a lot older than you, so climbing the ladder had some negative connotations at one time, right? Mm -hmm. So you're shifting this, which I love. To me, what you're saying, if I choose the latter, I choose growth. A hundred percent. Or I may choose comfort. I may decide that the second rung on the ladder, which is an individual contributor where I can do really great work, is where I want to be. And it is my choice. I don't have to be pressured into becoming a people manager if that's not a desire. I don't need to go aspire for a CMO role or a CEO role because that's not the rung on the ladder that I'm choosing. Or if you're someone who says, I do want to go for the top ladder spot, not to feel bad about it. It's an intentional choice that you've made for your life. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I love it. So where can we connect with you? Um, so you can connect with me on LinkedIn, watching Yan, who is the easiest. And then um, the company Instagram is probably where they're the most active. And that is also at I Choose the Ladder. Beautiful. And just so that we can be really intentional when we go to LinkedIn, how do you spell your last name? N is in Nancy, Y-A-N is in Nancy, U-E. All right. So watching, you know, shift happens all the time. So it's important to learn how we embrace change, how we embrace crisis. And we have learned, well, most of us have been forced to learn that. And hopefully we can expand and we can share some of that knowledge. So what are some quotes, advice, or practices that you use as a leader that has helped you most during these times? Yeah. So <laughs> my team teases me all the time. My favorite phrase is like, it's going to be fine, right? There's literally nothing that's not going to be fine. That doesn't mean it's going to be the way that we want it to be, but I guarantee you it's going to be fine, right? The work that we do is not like, I mean, it can be life or death because it's people's livelihoods, it's people's identities, it's culture, it's all of those things. But at the end of the day, I want joy in my work, right? I don't want the heaviness of what we sometimes do to cloud our ability to see that we get to do something that we love. And so it's going to be fine. Like what's the, 
I don't say what's the worst that could happen because I don't want an answer to that question. Um, and typically life gives you the answers to the questions that you ask. And so I just say, it's going to be fine. And typically it, it is fine. The second thing is, I think when change is happening, we as a society have been socialized to power through and deny our emotions. Change is scary. It's okay to be scared. It's not okay to stay scared, but it's okay to acknowledge the range of emotions that you have when shift happens, but allow that to empower you to lean into the shift as opposed to digging in your heels. And this is for leaders too, right? So as younger people are coming through corporate environments, what you're leading, they are not having the same experience that you did when you were climbing the ladder. For a lot of folks, the internet wasn't even around, right? And so you can't dig your heels in and expect to lead people in the same way that you were led when you were climbing the ladder. And so being open to the shift that is happening and what that means for your growth areas as a leader is also something that's beautiful. But at the end of the day, it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> you know, you are so clear. You're authentic. Your integrity just shines through so much that when you said that the first time, it's going to be fine. I just felt that. I, I, I mean it. Like I'm not, it's not a, like, um, uh, it's not an affirmation. It might be no. an affirmation, but I really believe it is because it's always been fine. But yeah, that's the power of you though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want you to know that, that even through the internet, even through zoom, when you said that, it landed. Aww. So to me, authenticity, integrity is super important. Tell me what you think about it. I a hundred percent agree. So one of the things that we talk about is like personal branding, right? And I think that has been abused and misused, but where you meet me, you will always meet the same person. So I don't care if I'm talking to you on the podcast, if I'm talking to the janitorial staff, if I'm talking to the CEO, because I don't know how to be anything else, right? I don't know. I could try but you would get a sense of like, hey, something's off with her. I don't know what it is. And for me, I'm not sticking around to find out. If I get a vibe <laughs> that like something is, and it's like, oh, okay. Mm, I don't really know what that is. So that's for interviewing. That's for when you stand up in front of your company and make declarative statements about who you are and your values, right? People can tell if those things are actually true to you, right? And so I think for me, I learned over time, the only person that I know how to be is me and I'm a really good version of myself. And so I'm going to stick to that and develop, develop that. But for people who um, feel like they have to be someone else, I would say question the environment that you're in that is causing you to feel like that is the only choice that you have. Yeah. You know, I wrote down another word, confidence, and it's a beautiful authentic confidence. It doesn't come from arrogance. I want to say that I love that confidence. Um, it, it comes from wisdom and humility mm -hmm. because those go hand in hand, mm -hmm. <laughs> your mm -hmm. experience and how you believe in what you do. Mm -hmm. Like this is your soul work. I agree. <laughs> I love it. I do. And I also think that what comes from knowing at an early age that you don't know how much time you have, right? So I've seen people killed in ways that you couldn't imagine in the movies, right? I, and I saw that at six, seven, you know, eight years old. And so for me, I've always had a level of respect for life um, that I didn't want to waste time. And sometimes that can uh, make me overzealous, I think, and put a little bit too much pressure on myself. But I think that life is beautiful. And I think that that's why, when we get into workspaces where people are being treated less than or made to question who they are or waste a lot of time and energy feeling like they're worse selves and it's based on things that we have the ability to change and impact, 
it fires me up, right? Because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And for me, I'm committed to making sure that when I lay my head down every night, I'm proud of the decisions that I've made. Um, I'm proud of the person that I am. Now that I have a child, that I'm proud of the example that I'm setting for my son. But I think it started, you know, however many years ago when I realized that like, you just don't know what life is going to bring you. And so just make the best of whatever it is that you have. Love it. And one of the things that I love doing is speaking to women. And I'm a Latina and I love speaking to young women of color. And Mm -hmm. so you have a message, you have a voice. So one of the the things that I wanted to ask you, you you spoke about climbing the corporate ladder. Um, And so why is climbing the corporate ladder a daily choice for Black women in the workplace and and some tangible actions to help? I would say it's a choice for Black women, but women of color in general, right? Like we have it rough, if we're being honest, if people want to, you know, call a spade a spade. But I think that is important, like you said, to have a voice. It is really important that our voices are in all spaces, right? So not just entrepreneurship, not just specialized nonprofits, but if we are not in those spaces, we are not thought about. If there's not a Latina in the room, nobody's thinking about your best interests, right? But on the flip side of that, if you've seen what companies have done for others, you can be a voice to advocate, right, for the other people who look like you who may not have a seat at that table. And so I think for me, if you are in those spaces, right, you're someone who has a seat, oftentimes the tendency is to question yourself, well, do I belong here? Right. The way that the patriarchy is set up, if you didn't belong, you would not have that seat because there are so many hurdles that women specifically and women of color have to jump through to even be considered for those places. And so if you are there, don't waste your energy wondering if you're good enough. I'm telling you right now, you are. I don't even know you've never met you, never seen you, but you are good enough. But make sure that the energy that you bring to that space is one that makes it known, at least to yourself, that you won't be the last, even if you're the first. And your job is to make sure that you are using your talents, your gifts, your skills to open doors for not only yourself, but for other people who look like you. And so when people brag like, oh, I'm the only Black woman in this space, my question is like, well, how long has that been? And Mm -hmm. why is that still the case? If you've been there for 20 years, we have to see some kind of movement. So for us, I feel like our voices are not just for ourselves, but they are for others so that we can, you know, be a pathway uh, for other women who want to climb the corporate ladder. Beautiful. And so we have different types of listeners. So we have, you know, very seasoned leaders. We have new leaders. We have all kinds. So your message is important, your knowledge and what you bring to the table. And so tell us what's the cost of inequality if we're not you know, taking those steps in our organizations, what is it costing us? Um, wealth. <laughs> it's costing us peace. It's costing us, ultimately it's costing us freedom because most people think that wealth is about money. Wealth is not only about money. It's about freedom. It's about the ability to control your time, to control as much as you can of your future, right? Knowing that not everything is certain. But if we are, like when you look at the pay gap, right? You look at things like student loan debt, even something as simple as, um, I was reading something maybe yesterday and this woman, I think she was buying a house and she was a woman of color. I think she was Latina. And the realtor was surprised that she couldn't just ask her parents for a gift for the down payment. He was like, with my clients, a gift from their parents is the norm, (laughs) right? If you don't get to sit in seats where you're making enough money, it will never be the norm for us. Right. And I know people are always like, oh, it's not about the money. Yes, it is. We go to work to make money. 
that's not the only reason that we go, right? And so being someone who's ambitious, being someone who wants to see a different future for themselves and their people, there's nothing wrong with that, right? And so if you are someone who is like, oh, I don't know, what it's costing you is your freedom. And you have to decide how much your freedom is worth to you. Beautiful. Love it. So uh, watching as a lifelong learner, which you clearly are. What I are you, am. Yeah. <laughs> what are you learning right now? Oh, so I built a company that's around me. What I've learned is I can't scale me. And now that I have a kid, I don't want to scale me. And so I'm learning about um, recurring revenue and uh, things that we can scale within the company. And so I'm reading a book now called The Automatic Customer and looking through like, what are some things within the business that we can build that is sustainable, whether I'm working for the company or not? Hmm. And, and it's interesting because I feel the same way. And one of the things, I, I mean, my, my son is already 20, but one of the things that I'm learning to do, and I've always been a collaborator, but looking to expand in that way where hmm. you're really, you can trust your baby with other people, you know, and make it better. Yeah. And that's, it's keying into the right people, right? That's a main thing. All right. So Watson, when you think of leadership today, Mm -hmm. what most concerns you and what are you most hopeful about? So the concern is that we've taken the human element out of working in leadership, right? It's all about the numbers at this point. And leaders are the people who have the highest profit margins at the end of the year, whose shareholders are happy. That is not how you get the most innovation and the best out of your people. That is very, very concerning. What I'm hopeful for is that when I meet the next generation of leaders, they are fired up and they're excited. And I think that they feel like, whether it's right or wrong, that they have more of a voice in shaping the environment that they want to work in. And Contrary to what people are saying, people don't want to work. I meet lots of people who want to work, but they also want to feel valued and feel like their contributions matter. And so the people that we work with in these corporations day in and day out who love their work and who want to find a space, like they really give me hope. And in terms of leaders, I think a lot of leaders are starting to realize that like, hey, there's a different way to do this. I may not have the skill set. I have the resources though to figure it out. And I think that makes me really, really excited. Absolutely. I love that. And you know, you give me so much hope. Thank you. <laughs> so, Thank you. I've been at this game a long time, but you know, this just stirs my soul. So, um, all right. So we have a surprise question for you. Adeyemi Adeyesoye, who is actually a soul crush of mine. And I have to say it, I have to introduce you. He's amazing. He wants to know, Uh What do you think the legacy of your current leadership style is bringing forward? I think the legacy of my current leadership style is bringing forward more confident leaders. So in my organization, mistakes are not, because it's going to be fine, right? So I encourage people to make mistakes. I encourage people to try things. I encourage people to have fun at the work that we're doing. And so they're not second guessing themselves all the time. So I get the best work product. And so, and that's what I encourage in my clients too. I think it's bringing forth a more confident and competent leader. uh, And that makes me very, very excited. It's going to be that I cared about the people before the product. That is always going to be the thing. I care about my people before I care about any product or service. Beautiful. So we have all types of leaders on this podcast and mm-hmm. you get to ask a question of them. Okay. So, so tell us, what are you curious about? Um, I would say, what is one leadership failure that turned out to be the biggest lesson that they learned about being a leader? I love that question. There's so much um, wisdom that we can gain from that because really- 
if you really think about it, we learn the most through our failures, right? Even though we avoid failure like the plague, but, and I say we, because I also try to avoid failure like the plague, but it's where the richest lessons reside. That's right. All right. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? For the folks who are leading, I want you to understand, and I mean this with love, leadership is a privilege. It is not a right. And if you have the fortunate position to be sitting in a seat where you are um, entrusted with people's careers and their livelihoods, I hope that you are taking it seriously and that you're doing the best that you can to be the best leader that you can be. I love that. You know, you talk about humanizing leadership and that speaks to my heart. One of the things that I speak about a lot, especially with CEOs when I'm doing training and coaching is an important question to ask is what would love do here? Mm. I'm bringing that four letter word into corporate. When I know they start to sweat, the minute you say love, the sweat bees just trickle down. It's a great question. It's a great question. And we have to keep talking about it and keep humanizing, as you Mm -hmm. said, because Mm -hmm. it is who we are. And that's the one of the highest vibrating emotions that we can put forth. Mm-hmm. Um, watching, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, Continue to ignite that leader in you.